You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Today I'm going to conclude uh, a three-week series that we've been in. Obviously, this is the third week. The series is uh, Love Like Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I have thoroughly enjoyed this series. It's been my favorite series of the year. Um, and so uh, we're, we're going to bring it to a close. And as we think about bringing it to a close, I want to prepare you today. Um, I'm going to be talking about the F word. You did the same thing at 8 o'clock. They were just dead silence when I said that. <laughs> Before you panic, let me, let me just clarify. The, the F word that I'm talking about is forgiveness. We're, we're gonna, it's like, oh, oh, yeah, oh, good, 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 good. What's up with Pastor Stan? Uh, we're going to talk about forgiveness this morning. Because um, if we're going to learn how to love like Jesus, then we have to learn how to forgive like Jesus. And I have to say, it's much easier to say that than oftentimes do it, Right? We can say we have to love like Jesus by forgiving like Jesus. But then there are circumstances and situations in our life, and they're just a little bit more difficult to navigate through. But it is possible. It is possible. Um, throughout this series, um, there's a scene from the life of Jesus that has continued to uh, surface uh, we looked at it in week one, again last week, and then again today. And it's that scene where Jesus is on the cross, and moments before his death, um, he calls out on behalf of his enemies uh, and his accusers, and he says this, Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Now think about what he's saying. He's saying, Father, forgive them. He could have nursed a grudge. He could have taken offense. He could have been unforgiving. Because he had been beaten and he had nails in his hands and he had been in his feet. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. Blood was streaming down. Uh, he was being challenged. And in the midst of that, he said, Father, forgive them. He had a choice. And he made the choice to ask for forgiveness on their, half, on their behalf. Listen, not one of us is exempt from choosing how to live when we encounter hurtful offensive people, and when we encounter pain-rendering circumstances and situations. Not one of us exempt. We all have a choice to make. When we encounter these people, when we encounter these circumstances, when we encounter these situations, we have one of two choices. We can choose to live out the way of vengeance. We can choose to uh, let a, a, a root of bitterness take place inside of our hearts. We can choose to be offended. Uh, we can choose to nurse a grudge. Or we can choose forgiveness. The first leads to death, and the latter leads to life. We all have the choice. Um, if unforgiveness leads to death, what might this death that unforgiveness leads to look like? Well, unforgiveness can create a domino effect that negatively impacts our emotions, our thoughts, our behaviors, our bodies, our spirits, and our relationships. In other words, unforgiveness can negatively impact every single part of us. Um, I think that we've all heard it said at some time, uh, time heals all wounds. I think that when unforgiveness is involved, that that's not possible. I don't think that the wounds can be healed when there's unforgiveness. Uh, 
when unforgiveness is there, it, it creates, uh, uh, I guess I, I would say, when, when more time is given to unforgiveness, it, um, it only increases the potential for the infection of unforgiveness to spread. And, and it, with more time, uh, it, it allows for the possibility, the deepening of the wounds and the emotional pain that comes from unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a deadly poison and perhaps the most significant poison that our enemy, the devil, uses against us. Let me say, it's the most significant poison that our enemy, the devil, uses against us. Unforgiveness can cause anything from depression to a host of physical ailments, sicknesses, and diseases. It, it, it's, it's true. Uh, a doctor and a pastor by the name of Michael Berry wrote a book, and the book is called The Forgiveness Project. Um, according to his research, 61% of the cancer patients that he followed had a forgiveness issue. They weren't willing to forgive. And so he explains that uh, harboring these negative emotions, harboring the anger, um, uh, all that goes with unforgiveness creates a state of chronic anxiety inside of us. And uh, then he goes on to explain that uh, this chronic anxiety predictably uh, creates or de- uh, uh, um, uh, an excess of, of adrenaline and cortisol in our bodies, which in turn depletes uh, the killer cells that are necessary for the fight against cancer. So are you saying, Pastor Stan, that if I have unforgiveness, I'm going to come down with cancer? No, I'm not saying that. In any way whatsoever, the point I'm trying to make is unforgiveness impacts negatively every part of our being. It can create all kinds of chaos in our life and in our body. Science and research seem to confirm that... uh, Unforgiveness has mental, physical, and emotional consequences. But this morning, what I want to say is I believe that there's an even greater consequence because it's of spiritual nature. When you and I choose the way of unforgiveness, this is what happens. We hinder, unforgiveness hinders um, our ability to fully experience the presence and the power of God in our lives. I'm going to say that again. Unforgiveness hinders our ability to fully experience the presence and the power of God in our lives. I want you to turn to a passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 6. I believe that this uh, passage gives great credibility to what I've just said. Um, I want to read to you in just a moment Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, but I want you to be able to get there. And after I read it, I'm going to give you a little context and walk you through it a little bit and see what we can Uh, what what we can find to to give credibility to what I've just said. Uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, turning or swiping there on your electronic device. I hear a few pages turning. I'm pausing, pausing, and now I'm reading. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they ask? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? Listen to this. And they took offense at him. 
And Jesus said to them, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own household is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Uh, Let's walk through this just a little bit. Um, I think it's necessary to go back to chapter 5 to to really get a context of what's happening. Um, In chapter 5 we find that Jesus is in Capernaum. And while he's in Capernaum, he does three astonishing miracles. The first miracle that he does that we read about in chapter 5 is that he encounters a demoniac. Uh, This is a man who has not only one demon, but he actually has a legion of demons in him. And Jesus encounters this man, and he speaks to the demons, and the demons are forced to go. As they're going, they say, please let us go into that herd of pigs. Jesus gives permission that the legion of demons actually go and possess a a herd of about 2,000 pigs. Uh, They rush over a cliff down into the water, and they drown. That's the end of them, and the demoniac is no longer a demoniac. He's set free. That was his first miracle. Uh, after that, we read about a man by the name of Jairus, a synagogue ruler. And um, Jairus came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, will you come to my house? My daughter is dying. And I know that if you come, she'll be healed. And Jesus said, sure. As Jesus was on his way, he was walking through a very dense crowd of people, an incredible crowd of people. And as he's walking, I'm sure that there are people all around him brushing up against him, pushing up against him. But he stops and he says, who touched me? And his disciples are like, really? Jesus, you, you see all this? And you want to know who touched you? And the reason he knew that someone touched him is the scripture says that he felt power go out from him. Who touched me? And there was a woman in the crowd who had been bleeding, hemorrhaging for 12 years. She had spent every bit of money that she had on help from doctors, and she was still hemorrhaging. And she had enough faith that said, if I can just make my way to Jesus, and if I can just touch his clothing, if I can touch the hem of his garment, I know that I will be healed. And that's exactly what happened. She made her way through the crowd. She touched his robe. And at that moment, healing power went out from Jesus' body, and she was healed at that moment. And that was the second miracle that we read about in Mark chapter 5. But what about Jairus? He was on his way to Jairus' uh, Jairus's house to, to heal his daughter. Uh, by this time, uh, some men, some friends come from Jairus' home and say, you don't need to bother the master to come. The teacher doesn't need to come. Your daughter has died. But did that stop Jesus in any way? No, no way whatsoever. He said, come on, Jairus, let's go to your house. When they get to his house, they find this um, crowd of mourners. They are sobbing. They are crying. And Jesus says, what's all of this about? The girl's not dead. She's sleeping. And they laugh at him. And he says, out. Just get out. I don't think he said it like that. but (laughs) Get out of the room. And Jesus goes and he speaks to the dead girl and life comes back. She is risen from the dead. And that's the third miracle that we see in Mark chapter 5. And then we find Jesus coming to his hometown of Nazareth. Um, After these three astonishing miracles, um, he walks into his hometown um, which it would seem strange that he's even come back to Nazareth. 
Because in the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells us that one year prior, the people of his hometown had actually tried to put him to death. They had tried to kill him. But Jesus comes into his hometown anyway. He comes very graciously and he comes fearlessly. Nothing's going to stop him. Archaeologists tell us that Nazareth was nothing more than a hamlet on a rocky hillside consisting of probably no more than 500 people. So with that in mind, as Jesus came into his hometown, there was no great um, heroes parade. There was no ticker tape, especially considering that a year earlier they had tried to kill him. There was no lineup of people along the streets welcoming him. In fact, they didn't even take notice of him until the Sabbath when they encountered him teaching in the synagogue. And as he was teaching in the synagogue, it says they were amazed. Wow, listen to this man teach. Where did he get this kind of wisdom? How does he know all of these things? We even hear he does miracles. And then suddenly... Their amazement turned, the tables turned, and their amazement actually turned to contempt. And there was a pause. Wait a minute. We recognize him. That's Jesus. He grew up here, just like us. He's never had any formal training. He never went to rabbinical school. He didn't go to seminary. Who does he think he is teaching like this? He has no credentials. In fact, we know that he's just a carpenter. He's a blue-collar worker, just like all of us. And then they said this, and isn't he Mary's son? And you have to know that when they said that, there was a slur. There was was an implication. There was an insult that came with that. Typically, culturally, it would have been proper to refer to the children. It would have been more proper. It would have been proper for for them to refer to Jesus. This is Jesus, the son of Joseph. But instead, they said, this is this is Jesus. Isn't he Mary's son? And the implication was, oh, yeah, that's Jesus, the illegitimate son of Mary. The illegitimate son of Mary. And then it's interesting. And here's what I want you to catch. In verse 3, it says, And they took offense at him. And they took offense at him. Actually, what it means is they stumbled over him. In the original language, that word means to stumble, to stumble over. And so they found themselves um, offended at Jesus. They found it very difficult to, um, there was actually unforgiveness. They, they, were, they found it difficult to forgive him of being anything but the illegitimate son of Mary. They didn't want to recognize that this was the son of God, the miracle worker, the soon-to-be savior of the world. And so they stumbled over who he was. They stumbled over what he saw. They took offense at him. And then in verse 5, it says this, and Jesus could not do any miracles there. Are you making a connection here? They were offended, and Jesus could not do any miracles there. Because of their stumbling, because of their offense, they separated themselves from the power and the presence of God. Jesus was right there in their midst. The miracle worker face to face, flesh to flesh, and they cut themselves off from him because they took offense. And it's from this occurrence in the life of Jesus, it's from this scene that we read in Mark chapter 6, that I would say, again, it's where I conclude that 
unforgiveness, offense, unforgiveness hinders us from fully experiencing the power and the presence of God in our lives. Here's what happens when, let me just say this, it takes a lot more energy and effort to nurse a grudge than it does to forgive. I mean, you have to work at nursing a grudge. There they come. I've got to put on the cold act. I, it's not too hard because I've got all this bitterness in my heart. It takes a lot of work. And so what happens is when we give our energies, emotional, mental, whatever, when we give our energies to that, we actually move ourselves away from the presence of God. We, we cut ourselves off. It's not God cutting himself off from us, but we're removing ourselves because we choose to focus on the offense. We choose to focus on unforgiving. And so we remove ourselves. And by removing ourselves, we cause ourselves not to experience the presence and the power of God in the fullness that he has for our lives simply because we're nursing a grudge. In verse 6, it says... And Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. Offense or unforgiveness was the catalyst for their lack of belief or their lack of faith. And without faith, Jesus was powerless to do any miracles. They removed themselves because of offense. They removed themselves from experiencing to the fullest degree the power and the presence of God. And what I would say this morning is we are not immune from this same dilemma because we encounter people, we encounter situations, we encounter things where we have the... uh, It puts us in a place of making a choice. Am I going to hold on to a fence? Am I going to am I going to nurse a grudge or am I going to let this go? Am I going to forgive? So we find ourselves probably daily, if not weekly, uh, in, in, in opportunities where we have a choice to make. So what's the solution? What's the solution? How do we confront unforgiveness in order to release to the fullest degree the power and the presence of God in our lives? I want you to read a passage of scripture with me that you find in your notes. I believe the answer is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. We're going to read it together in just a moment when I say go. So find it in your notes. And when I say go, put on your best Sunday morning reading voice. You ready? Let's go. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Here's what it's saying. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. I am responsible to make sure that I don't allow anything in me to to take root, root of bitterness that will cause great catastrophe for me and other people. It is my responsibility. We are to choose the way of forgiveness. We choose. It's a matter of personal responsibility. Um, It's my responsibility to guard against a bitter root Nursing a grudge, offense, taking root in me, and I can't blame anyone else. I have no excuses. I can't say, well, I'm bitter because of what they did to me. No, I'm responsible. I'm responsible before God to work that out. Let me give, us, uh, give you three quick um, uh, truths, realities, whatever you want, just to, to help keep us on track with this. Um, listen, you and I, we are the bishop. We are the overseer of our soul. No one else. 
That's why you can't blame. You, you can't have excuses because we are the bishop. We are the overseer of our soul. Listen to this. God will hold others responsible for what they do to you. God will hold others responsible for what he does. It's not up to me. I don't have to take care of it. I'm not God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can count on the fact that we have a just God and he, every one of us, we're going to get what's coming to us. We're going to get it. So I don't have to try to work it out. I don't have to work out vengeance for someone else because God has already got it covered and it's going to be much greater than what we could come up with anyway. Listen to this. Here's the third thing. God will hold us responsible for what we allow to go on inside of our minds and in our hearts. I'm responsible for what I allow to take root and grow here. It's my responsibility. It's my responsibility. I want us to read one other passage together. It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. It's there in your notes. Are you ready? If you found it, let's go. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And I confess, I've always kind of stumbled over this verse. What does that really mean? God, don't you understand how bad they hurt me? And I, I think you forgive me, but I, do I have unforgiveness? Here's what, here's, what, here's what I believe the Holy Spirit revealed to me that it means. Um, in order for my vertical relationship with God to be right, I am responsible to make sure that my horizontal relationships are right. And when I'm working on these, then this is good. This is good, then this is good. That's our responsibility. So I said in the beginning, we can't really love like Jesus until we learn how to forgive like Jesus. So how does Jesus forgive? And I want you to turn to one other passage, um, Luke chapter 23. It's this thing that keeps surfacing in each week of this series, Luke chapter 23, verse 32. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there, was, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. How do we forgive like Jesus? It's easy. We begin... By being like him. We forgive in the same way that he's forgiven us. We exercise um, grace and not judgment. We choose grace over judgment. And we forgive others as he's forgiven us. It's that simple. We pray for those who hurt us. We choose grace, not judgment. And we forgive as we've been forgiven. I want to read you a story this morning as we move towards a close. Uh, many of you in the room are familiar with who Corrie ten Boom is. Corrie ten Boom came from a family of Dutch watchmakers. She and her family um, hid Jews uh, during the Nazi invasion. Um, this particular story comes from uh, after many years afterwards where she was speaking 
uh, at, a, at an event. He says, it was in a church in Munich where I was speaking in 1947 that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat and the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. Memories of the cross, uh, concentration camp came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message for all I. How good it is to know that, as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. And I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed as hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Still, I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of my heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as, I, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulders, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried. With all my heart, I forgive you. For a long, long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. What an incredible story of forgiveness. I'm sure that throughout this room, there are many stories to be told of forgiveness that has happened in the past, but maybe for some, there's something you're working through right now. Maybe there's a person that you've had to deal with. One of those offensive people. One of those hurtful people. Or maybe there's a, 
a, a situation or a circumstance that was so pain rendering and you just haven't been able to get through. Maybe you feel like when you think about it, your blood is frozen. And to think about forgiveness seems so far from reality because what? look what they've done. Look what they've done to me. Look what they've done to my family. And today the Holy Spirit would say, yet it is possible for you to forgive because you have been forgiven such a great debt. I'm going to ask you to stand. Pastor Aaron and the team are going to lead us in another worship song in just a moment. Um, If today you find yourself in a situation where you're, you're struggling with working towards forgiveness and you know there's a situation that you need to make forward movement in, Here's what I would invite you to do. And this isn't for everybody, only for those in the room who are dealing with this. Um, Throughout the room, there are three communion tables. There's one here, there's one here, and there's one in the back of the room by the sound booth. As we're worshiping, I would encourage you to take that first step. Just take the step and come to the communion table. And as you're at the communion table, have a moment where you remember through the communion elements just how great the forgiveness that's been extended to you by God through Jesus is. And that you would begin to work and say, God, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel right. But I know it's right. I want to make this relationship right. Let me tell you what making the relationship right, what forgiveness means. It doesn't mean you have to become best pals. It doesn't mean you have to hang out together. It simply means that you release whatever you've been harboring in your heart so that you can be released to experience the fullness, the power, the presence of Jesus in your heart and in your life. You haven't been holding someone else captive. You've been holding yourself captive. Several weeks ago, in the beginning of this series, I shared a personal experience of an individual that God's been working with me about forgiveness. And it was even through this message that this week I've made great strides. And and I believe that I'm at a point now where I'm able to say, I release you. I release you. I thought I was holding you captive and I've been holding myself captive this whole time. And I'm not going to drink the deadly poison anymore. And maybe that's what you would need to say this morning. So often we pray and we say, set the captives free. Uh, And I believe that this morning as forgiveness has been Um, practiced uh, exercised as as forgiveness is becoming a reality in our own lives this morning that you're uh, releasing us to experience your fullness in a brand new way and so Father God I would ask that today be the dawning of a new day in all of our lives because we walk in a new freedom because we choose not to hold grudges we choose not to nurse offense but instead we would say we let it go we let it go. Father God, I thank you for the work that you're doing by your spirit in this place right now in every light, in every heart. I thank you that we are receiving the forgiveness in our own hearts as we forgive others. So Father, we commit ourselves to you. We realize that there'll be times where the enemy will come back against us and try to tempt us with the same feelings and the thoughts and the behaviors, but we say no in the name of Jesus. We will stand firm in the forgiveness that we have received through you and the power of your spirit. Father God, we thank you for what you're doing right now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.